Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Hey, we'll go ahead and get started tonight. For those of you listening to the podcast, evidently, if you listen to the one, I've got a whole classroom of people looking at me and I'm talking to the microphone. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, <clears throat> evidently there was a glitch and about 35 minutes in. So first of all, sorry for your eardrums. Uh, and secondly, I'll try to recap a little bit here uh, as we get going later on the lesson. Uh, but let's do this. Excited about tonight? <clears throat> you gluttons for punishment that came back again. Holy smokes, what were you thinking? You had a chance to get out of this mess, and you came back. So uh, tonight's another another good night looking into Jonah. Uh, as you know, I like to do things just a little bit fun, so you're never too old to have fun, okay? Uh, here's what I need. I need one person from every table just to come up here and grab. Now, if my like old school Sunday school teacher would have known that we had dice in church, she might have flipped out, but there you go. Come up and grab one dice real quick and uh, take it back to your table. And I'll explain to you what's going on. All right? <clears throat> Grab one die. I'm going to need this back. Just need one per table. Just one dice per table is all you need. Everybody, every table's got one. So here's a question. Before we roll the die, before we do this, here's a question. We're going to kind of narrow it down in this room. And uh, we'll have a little bit of fun with it. But here's what I want you to talk about. Every, every week, I want to keep this fun. My goodness. If there's some deep, dark thing in your, in your past, your history, or whatever it is, we're not going there, okay? It's meant to be fun, okay? Let's get to know each other. We're all part of a really big church. Let's shake some hands. Let's laugh a little bit. Poke fun at one another. Have a good time with it. More than anything else, I'm just, I'm just interested in you getting to know people at your table. And keep mixing it up. That's a great thing. But here's, here's a question. Have you ever gotten caught? In a, in a way that you're like, oh, that, oh, yeah, I remember that day. I got busted. So maybe it's something back when you're a little kid. I don't know what it is. Again, I'm not looking for deep confession time right now. Keep it light. Keep it fun. If there's tears at your table, you're doing the wrong thing, okay? I want you to tell a story at your table of a time you got caught, all right? At least is it, maybe it wasn't funny then, but you can laugh about it now. You got flat out busted. I will lead with uh, <coughs> which one I want to go with. Um, man, I got a lot. Uh, I got a lot. Uh, God's gift of my life was letting me get caught. Um, I'll probably go with, uh, I still remember Easter Sunday. Uh, my mom would always buy, like, we didn't get traditional Easter baskets because we were, we were kids, lived out in the woods, right on the river. And so she would buy us, like, you know, outdoor type stuff, you know. And so I remember one day... We had this one, we lived in a small house, only had one bathroom. My mom's in the bathroom, and I stand outside the door and I make the comment Easter, I mean, it's Sunday morning. The, the gifts are not out. Nobody knows what we're getting yet. And I, look, I yell at my mom. I said, Hey, mom, do I get a tackle box like Mark and David? And you could literally, like, you could feel her blood pressure rising behind the door. You could see her about to go ballistic because we had snuck in, pulled back the clothes, gone through everything we were getting for Easter morning in our basket. We knew everything that was coming, and, man, we were busted. She took all of it back. We didn't get any of it. It was gone. It was done. She was hot. She was mad. It's all going back to Walmart. Just hot, hot, hot mad. But I, I remember that day, full on, sneaking in my mom's, my mom's closet, peeling stuff back. I got caught. 
Tell a story at your table, keep it fun, keep it light, of a day you got caught. Okay, hey, listen up. We've been talking a little bit. Anybody, I don't want to embarrass anyone, anybody have a, have a story at their table that's pretty funny that you felt like they should tell that in the room? Anybody have one that's worth telling in the room? If you don't want to, we don't want to humiliate you. Ain't no good stories? Okay. So let's do this. Tonight, Jonah gets caught. Um, I tried to figure out how I, could, how I could boil this down into what it looked like. You had 200 and some men on this boat. Um, you know, you get a lot, of, a lot of people on this. We read last week as we went through that Jonah is called by God to pursue Nineveh. And man, what the, the phrase was, the key phrase we camped on is that just because you bought the ticket doesn't mean you got to get on the boat. And, and I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where, man, I have bought the ticket and got on the boat. I've made decisions in my life that I regret. I've done things, you know, and whether those things are just dumb decisions I've made or just sinful decisions I've made. Uh, you know, I, I found myself in that place where I bought the stupid ticket and I got on the boat. Um, tonight, we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit deeper into Jonah and his response in that moment. Because for some of us in the room, and honestly, it could be any one of us, myself included, we may find ourselves at this moment going, I'm on the boat, man. I'm on it right now in terms of something going on in my life, my heart, my mind. And we're going to look at Jonah's response, the sailor's response, God's response, all of that, and just kind of unpack that. But let's, let's read the text we're going to go through tonight. I'm going to fire through it because I know some of you know this story. Many of you won't. Uh, we're in the book of Jonah, of course. Uh, we're going to live there. I'm just going to, I'm going to read, it's only like 17 verses, it's not a lot. So let's just kind of, actually, let's do this. Um, if there's somebody at your table that'd be willing to read this at your table, instead of me just reading it out loud, uh, anybody got to volunteer at your table that you'd be willing to read it out loud? Okay, Jonah, chapter 1. Here, I, I don't want to put you guys on the spot. I'll read this one tonight, next week I'll ask. Here we go. I had all that look in my face like, don't do this to us, don't do this. Here we go. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, some Amittai. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness came up before me. has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. We found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us, and we won't perish. And the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. Whoops, I skipped all the way to the back. Um, he says, where do you come from? What is your country? <clears throat> from what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the God of the heavens who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do with you to make the sea calm down for us? He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea had grown even wilder than before. 
Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you please. They took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered sacrifices, a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So, Jonah gets caught. I mean, he flat out gets caught. We walked through this text last week where, if you remember the story, um, we'll talk about the dice you've got on your table here in a second. You find Jonah, he's a prophet from God. He, he's already been doing work in Israel. He's a well-known prophet, honestly. Um, and in fact, if you, I was, I was reading some stuff by Eugene Peterson that I'd never caught before, uh, and I don't want to get into all the Hebrew and the way all the, the vocabulary breaks down and, you know, the, the feminine words and the possessive words and all this, but here's something I found out today that I never even saw in this text before. When it makes that comment uh, in chapter 1, I'm going to find exactly where it's at. After paying the fare, what it really means is there's a possessive term in there. He basically is saying, after paying for the ship, after paying for the boat. So I always looked at it that Jonah just bought a ticket. What, what some commentators are saying is like, nope, it's a little bit more than that. Like Jonah bought the boat. Like he basically bought the thing out. You know, that he probably could possibly came from a family of money. And Jonah said, I want this boat and it's now going here. And he sailed that thing 2,300 nautical miles as far as he could possibly get. I mean, you think about it. When you cross, if you cross through the, you know, the Straits of Gibraltar at that point in the known world, good grief, where are you going now? And so he sails 2,300 nautical miles. I don't even, I don't even know how to fathom how long that would have taken at that, at that point in time. You know, even, you know, for the most part, we know that, you know, we know that there are sailboats at this point in time. They had those in Mesopotamia. We, we understand that. But we also know that they're rowing these boats as well in the storm when it gets difficult. And so you're thinking, man, how long does it take? I don't know. Maybe you can Google it and figure it out. How long does it take in the first century, you know, you know, first century, right before that? How long does it take clear back at this point in time, which may have even been before sailboats or around the time of sailboats? We don't know. How long does it take him to sail a boat 23 or take a boat by rowing at 2,300 nautical miles? How far? How long? That's probably, I'm guessing at that point, maybe a year's journey. You're talking, this, this is no light trip he's taking. This is a massive departure away from God. It's not like he's going like, I'm going to take a road trip to Chicago. I mean, this is an endeavor. When they got on that boat with a couple hundred guys, they load up on this thing. They're rowing this thing. They're taking cargo. I mean, this is like the journeys you hear of Christopher Columbus. These are, this is an epic journey they're on. Noah is fleeing from God, and he's headed for an exotic place. He's heading for the farthest place he could possibly get in his mind. He doesn't know. In your mind, I, I don't know what is as far away as you could possibly get from God. From, you know, from a physical standpoint, we understand, well, there, there's nowhere. But I don't know. From your, in your mind, what's the furthest place you could get away? You know, is it Australia? Is it India? I, I don't know. But in, in Jonah's mind, Tarshish, was, that was it, man. That, that's as far as it gets. I'm out to the Straits of Gibraltar. You know, I'm out, I'm out as far in the known world as it possibly gets. He's probably taken almost a year to get there. And he is running, running from God, even to the point where he's willing to fork over some money. I mean, even if he doesn't buy the boat, and we take that comment from Eugene Peterson and say, ah, he doesn't buy, even the fare for that journey would have been immense. To get on that boat, to take it to that place, to be able to have the money to do that. He bought the ticket, he's now on the boat. And he's walked 30-some miles to buy this ticket, and here he is. 
Um, so here's what happens. He's on this boat, and all of a sudden this storm comes up. And I don't know if it's, you know, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma. I, it is a Category 4. I mean, I don't know what category this storm is, but for these sailors, it's epic. It's a storm that they don't even know what to do with to the point where these grown men who do this for their livelihood are now afraid. Uh, I've been in that kind of fear. I don't know if you ever found yourself on the water and afraid. Uh, been there a couple of different times. I remember one time uh, I took my son. This isn't nearly as, as much as Jonah's, but it, it was a rough night, man. Took my son deer hunting behind our house. We take a canoe upstream, and uh, he'd shot a deer, and, uh, and he made the comment. It's like, my son always makes a great shot. And on this night, he was, Dad, I don't think I don't think I made a good shot. I was like, yeah, you did. You're good, son. You're good. I saw, I saw I could see the deer. I mean, it's probably from here to that back wall. I was like, just hang tight. We're good. We're good. Just hang tight. It's like, that's a great shot. He's like, nah, I don't feel good about it. Next thing you know, deer's up, takes off running in the woods. I'm like, oh, crud. Man, we're in trouble now. And I knew it was a big storm was coming in in about an hour and a half, two hours. And so we got back in there. And if you're not a hunter, I forgive you. Um, but we, we got back in there and we started following the blood trail and all this kind of stuff. And I could hear the, the trees, you know, that storm comes in, you can hear the trees start to sway and we live right down on the river and I'm kind of watching around and I can feel the temperature shift where you feel that cold front move through and you're like, oh man, I'm like, uh, and we'd paddle upstream in our canoe and, uh, and I'm like, Good night. I'm just watching the storm roll in. It's getting darker and darker. We've got headlamps on. I've now got my cell phone out trying to find this, trying to track this deer. We've been looking now for two hours. It's getting dark, 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 dark now. And we can't find this deer. And finally, I looked at him like, Levi, it's about to get bad. And I could just feel the storm coming in. You know what you, know what you feel? It's not just you feel the barometer shift. It's almost like you feel an aggression in the weather that shifts. It's hard to even... Even quantify it, to find the words of like, it's a, I don't want to be out here anymore. And so it was one of those storms. I grew up here. I'm used to big thunderstorms rolling in. I lived here my whole life. But this one, this is one of those ones you're like, okay, you got my attention. That's why I said, bud, let's get to the boat. Let's go, let's go, let's go. We hop in that canoe and we start trying to get down to my house. And it literally, the wind is just spinning this canoe. It's dark. And I'm like, what are we doing right now? I'm in the middle of the water. That wind is coming up there so hard, so powerful. And I'm like, I mean, it is just pounding us. I mean, just rushing up there, spinning the boat around. It's tipping us side to side. And Levi just, he yells out at me. He goes, Dad, I'm scared. And I still remember this beautiful moment I had as a dad. I just screamed, shut up. I don't have time for you to be scared. That's what I did. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. That's exactly how it played out. I go, shut up. I don't got time for you to be scared. I said, we're in a lot of trouble. I said, shut your mouth, put your oar in the water, and paddle as hard as you can. We're in trouble right now. We got to get out of here. He's like, okay. It's like, I mean, it was just like, dig, dig. We got to get gone, man. We did not want to be out there. We had all this camo on, our guns with us. I'm like, what? I'm like, as a dad, I'm like, what am I doing? This is a terrible idea. This storm they're in is immense. It's terrible. And it comes to the point they cast lots. It's a weird thing to think about. We're going to talk about it a little bit more, but let's play a little game right now. What if the lot fell to you? What if you're the man or you're the woman? Let's just play a little game and see who does the lot fall to. In this room, who does the lot fall through? Fall to? All right? Whole biblical precedent for casting lots as like New Testament Christians we don't know what to do with. We'll, we'll laugh about that here in a little bit. I'm like, it's everywhere. It's all over Scripture. Okay, I'm like, eh, we're not supposed to do that. Oh, it's all over the place. I don't know what to do with it, but it's everywhere. We'll talk about that in a minute. Here's the deal. Go around your table. Everyone, go around once. Anyone who rolls a one stands up, stay standing. 
Okay, keep rolling until, if you go around and multiple roll a one, keep standing. Okay, all right, go around one time, see who rolls a one. Go make one loop around. If only one person does, you stand up, everybody else stay seated. I need one person to every table to roll a one. So as you think about that moment on that boat, I mean, here these grown men are casting lots to figure out who the one is. Who's the one? Don't miss all of the, of, of the miracles that take place in this, in this text. Even the way that God can narrow this down to that one individual that he needs to get their attention. And he'll do it through lots. Now, honestly, I don't even know. I meant to go ask, like, Chad Ragsdale. Hey, Chad, how did, what did lots look like in the Old Testament? I honestly don't even know. I've never really studied it. Never looked into it. Tonight's really the first night I've even kind of thought about what that moment would have been like. You're on a boat. And I'm not like, who brings lots on a boat? Why do they have lots? It's probably part of a religious process they went through. We find it in the Old Testament, even find it in the New Testament. You know, when they choose after Judas dies, that's how they choose Matthias, one of the apostles. I mean, the lots are, are found everywhere. And how God can handle this moment of circumstance. If God uses lots to get people's attention, and if God can use something that seems that totally random, my estimation is he can use just about anything. So let's dig into this text tonight. Let's start looking at it. Um, We're going to talk a lot about Jonah starts off his life being disgruntled with his calling. All right. So many areas of conversations we can have about that. Having these conversations with my son, he right now is his junior year in college, trying so hard to figure out what he wants to do with his life. I'm like, son, welcome to adulthood, okay? Because that's most adults I bump into is they're still trying to figure out, what do I want to do? I still, my mom, I'll never forget this conversation. She probably was 60-some years old, and she was joking around with me. And she says, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And I started laughing, and she was, I'm only kind of kidding. Like, I think at some level within a lot of us in this room, we still kind of wonder, did I do the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Is there something else I could do? You know, we live with that nomadic spirit within us. Some of us are like, nope, I do not. Uh, I do, man, I get that. Um, and, and maybe if you're one of those people that you know what it's like to be a little disgruntled with your calling. Had a conversation with a friend today that was all about that. Uh, he finds himself in a church situation, working, going, man, I love the Lord, I love the church, I don't want to be here. I just don't want to be here. Um, it's a difficult thing when you find yourself frustrated. And, and I don't know if you've ever uh, found yourself so frustrated with a job that you just want to, you know, you know, play, take this job and shove it and just walk out the door. You know, I don't know what it is in your life, you know, where you get to the point that you're just done with what you're doing. Or if you find yourself in the middle, like, I'm kind of in between things right now. I, I'm not where I want to be. I, I don't know what's going on in Jonah's personal life, but I do know this. God has told him what to do, and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. Let's give Jonah some sympathy. Go back, it's 1940, 1950-ish. Tell me what's going on in our world at that point in time. On a global front. Yeah, you got a world war going on. Can you imagine if all of a sudden, let's say you are a good Jewish boy living in, let's say England at that point in time. Find yourself as a good Jewish boy living in England or living in Israel. We'll say that, living in Israel. And all of a sudden God says, I want you to go to Berlin. And I want you to preach the good news to the Nazi army. And I want you to tell them they need to repent. 
Imagine that. You're like, whatever, man, it ain't happening. It's just not happening. You know, imagine if right now, if, if God says, you know, and again, I'm not trying to, to, to pick fights here, but let me make it transfer at your age right now. And, uh, and I'm not saying God's done this, but if, if the Lord looked at you and said, uh, I'm, I'm commanding you, I, I want you to go to North Korea and preach the good news. You're like, I can't even get in the country. They're not even going to let me in. They don't want to hear what to say. I can't even speak the language. You're like, they're going to kill me if I try this. Listen, is that really going to be any different than what Jonah's up against? We don't even know if he speaks a language. We know they got, you know, 15 miles or so of walls, you know, 100 feet tall and 50 feet thick. We know that they're a gluttonous, bloodthirsty land that is just, they're warmongers. We know they've been living with their boot on Israel's neck for years. I would say this, man, let's give Jonah a little bit of sympathy at this moment. It's not just that he doesn't like his job, okay? I feel like I trivialize it when I talk about our calling. It's a little more involved than that. But there is an undercurrent of sin, which is racism in him. He doesn't want to save the Ninevites. He hates them. He hates them, man. And we asked that question we asked last week in our podcast, who's your Ninevite? Is there any person out there you look at and they, I don't know if I could take the gospel to them. I mean, we don't do very well with vulnerability in church. We just don't. We struggle with that sometimes. But you know in your own mind if a name popped up. You know in your own mind, like, <coughs> who your enemy might be or who did your family wrong. It doesn't have to be someone of a different ethnicity or a different socioeconomic or, you know, a different country. It might be someone with a, different, with a last name you don't like. It might be somebody like that family, that neighborhood, those people, those relatives. I, I don't know. The question is, do you have a Nineveh? Do you have a Nineveh? Like, literally, if God told you to go there, you're like, peace out. Not me. Find somebody else. I kind of got one of those in my life right now. I do. Literally told the Lord, I'm just, is it okay if we just be a little bit vulnerable? And I don't want to go to details because I don't want to listen to the podcast, but I know there's somebody that desperately needs Jesus. I know that's part of it. And I've looked at it and said, Lord, I don't think because of boundaries that I need in my life for my family, I don't think this is a wise thing for me to do right now. I just don't. Don't think this is a wise thing for me to meet with that individual because of the history uh, and, and impact. I just don't think that's wise. And I've had this conversation with God. I know this person needs your word. I know they need salvation. And God, I mean, I, I don't have a problem praying for that person. I'd have no problem praying with that person. But I'd just soon not be in the same room as them. You know, just would, would not, would just soon not, that not happen. Now, there's a long story behind that. Um, for podcast sake, I'm going to press pause real quick. I'll let you guys join up here in just a second. I just don't want to know who's going to listen to this. So I know that irritates you guys listen to it. My bad. Back to podcast. But I do. Don't know if you've got a Nineveh, but I've got mine. And so I think some of them, my question for you is, who or what is your Nineveh? Is there something you're running from? Fear is never a good motivator. It's not, man. Fear always causes you to do things. You know, it, it may sustain you in, in a moment of bravery. It may sustain you, but it's not a sustainable pattern for life. It's not a place you can live constantly. Fear may, may give you an instant reaction of boldness, but it's not a sustainable place to live from. Is there something that you fear? Someone. And, and even if it's, if it's those, those people out there fears. Man, I have so many conversations 
with people that, that fear those others. I'm like, whether it be you know, an issue with immigration, be an issue with people in another country, I'm like, man, I, I just feel like that's not, a, that's not a healthy place for us to live. And that's where Jonah's at right now. So let's move on. Um, I'll say this. Um, missing your calling, it's difficult. I love what James says. If you get your Bibles, um, look at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. <coughs> i got to get moving. I'm messing around way too long. James 4, 13 to 17. And we've got to get into Jonah a little bit more. James tells, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, what, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. Sounds so much like Jonah. And all your boasting is evil. And here's the kicker. Great verse to memorize. Underline it. Mark it. Your Bibles are, it's okay to mark in them. Underline things. It's good. It says, if anyone then, now think about you. Insert your name there. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Wow! That's a pretty broad thing to say, James. It's a pretty broad thing to say. So Jonah's running. It's not just running from his calling. This has now become a sin issue in his life. I told you last week, it's not so much that God, excuse me, it's not so much that Satan is always trying to entice you to do something horrific and bad, like he's not just pushing everyone in the room to go out and deal drugs in the playground at you know, Harry, you know, Harris Truman Elementary. That's just not the case. Usually it's not that he's trying to get you to do these massive sinful things to draw attention. You know, a lot of times his most persuasive and his most tactical approach is to get you just to not do good things. And what have you begin to tolerate, you eventually come to accept. Whatever you get to tolerate, you eventually come to accept. It's all the little steps you take away. It's all the little steps I take away. That all of a sudden, it's kind of like that frog in the kettle. Like, how did I get here? Like, it started way down here. And Jonah said, I can't stand those you know, stupid Ninevites. Can't stand those people, man. He's in a conversation. Man, I don't, I don't like him either, man. I can't stand him either. I mean, I don't know. He's just shooting the bull one day, having a conversation over a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, talking to his other prophet buddies. Man, what do you think of those Ninevites? I don't trust them, man. I don't know. I don't trust them at all. And all of a sudden, this conversation goes to where moves a little further. Like, now he's initiating the conversation. I don't like Nineveh. I can't stand Nineveh. That Babylon, you know, don't, don't have any heart for that whole place. It's a mess. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in a place now where he's willing to say words of like, man, I hate those people. I hate them, man. I wish God would wipe them off the face of the map. I wish God would blow them up. I wish God would take them out. You ever heard people in our culture, even Christians, say things like that? Run. <laughs> that, that, that's a heart that is being corrupted. That's a heart that's being led astray. Because God's heart is always for the nations. God's heart is always for all people. First Peter says that he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but want everyone to come salvation. There's no one on the face of the planet that God does not want and desperately desire to redeem. So if we get to the point that we think people are now beyond redemption, wow, we are a lot like Jonah. We get a lot like Jonah. All right, enough of that. Let's move on. Um, I want to talk about what life would be like on a pagan boat. Let's just dialogue that for a second. I'd love some banter back. What are the expectations on a pagan boat for Jonah? You don't have to hear about God. Yeah, I don't have to hear about God. 
What else? File some of these away because these are going to be good answers when we when I flip this on you in a second. Okay. I doubt you're kosher. Yeah, find it kosher. You can do whatever you want, man. A lot of freedom, tons of freedom. What else? What what is life like on a pagan boat? Okay, he's away from it. All the problems of the past, man. All those things that wear me down. They're all they're all back in not just Joppa. They're all back in Israel. What else? What's life like on a pagan boat? Man, pagan boat. You can redefine who you are. Nobody knows your story. You can become somebody brand new, fresh start. What else? Anything else come to mind? Let's play with that for just a second. Is it possible for us to get on a boat, metaphorically? I'm not saying that you're going to go out and literally show up at my house tonight and say, hey, can I take your canoe out for a spin? Like, you can. You're welcome to. But I'm just thinking that's probably not going to take place. But can we ever find ourselves on a boat? On a boat where there's little to no accountability? Can we ever find ourselves on a boat where people don't really have to know the whole story? Can we ever find ourselves on a boat where conversations about God aren't really dominant? Ever find ourselves in a place where we just kind of find this, this little oasis where there's no accountability. I don't have to eat kosher. I don't kind of reinvent myself right now. I can become this new person. I can kind of flex and be this new individual. It's nothing but, you know, blue skies and smooth sailing from here. Leave all the junk behind in my past and let's just lean ahead to the future. Do we ever find ourselves on a boat? Man, I found myself on a boat before where I start believing the lies or I start thinking, man, I don't want to put up with this anymore. I'm out of here. I'm gone. I think it's important to look at it and say, it's hard for us to conceptualize we're literally going to go buy a ticket because we think Carnival Cruise Lines, Norwegian Cruises. Like, oh. I would encourage you to say, metaphorically, what is it you're using to escape? Listen to that. What is it you use to escape? That's the question. That's the kicker. Do you have anything in your life that you're using to escape God? Things that offer no accountability. Things that aren't driving you or pushing you to have honest conversations about who you are, where you're going. Are you using, and man, that can be here. That can be a relationship. That can be a job. That can be a hobby. My question is, are the responsibilities that God's given you that you found something that lets you escape those? Here's the honest truth. For me... Lots of things can do that in my life. Lots of boats, man. My hobbies can become my boats real quick. I love to bow hunt. Love it with all my heart. I mean, good night. If I can get time in a deer stand, that is time for me. But here's my question. I can, here's my question. Here's my comment, my self-reflective comment. I can sit on a deer stand for hours, yet there are some nights when my son asks me to read him a book at night, I'm like, oh, man, I just want to go to bed. Really? I know my calling as a dad. I know my calling as a dad. And it's way more important than any calling I've ever got to go deer hunting. God's never called me to do that. I can sit in that stand and literally not use the bathroom for hours on end and be happy as ever. But I can't take 10 minutes right now to sit down and read a book for something that truly is my calling, which is to be a good father. Really? Hmm. I see a problem with that. I don't know if you do. I see unhealth in that. I don't know if you do. I can, I can have conversations at times, deep conversations, with somebody at work, 
But then all of a sudden, I'll find in that moment that I might brush off the deep conversation that I, I really should have with my son right now. I probably have too deep a conversation with my son, to be honest. That, that doesn't really work. But you get the point, okay? My sons get deep conversations. If they're listening, they're like, bull, dad. <laughs> You're always trying to talk deep. But you get the point. Sometimes we, I was like, that's a lie. Man, I, can't, I, can't, I can't let that escape by. But you probably understand the point that sometimes you can have conversations with other people, but maybe you can't have it with your wife. You can have conversations. My question is this. What are your boats? What do you use to escape the things you know you're supposed to do? He who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. What are the things you know you're supposed to do in your marriage? The things you're supposed to do in your relationships? And honestly, I see people do this at work, where instead of doing sometimes the task they know they've got to get done, they'll look for anything possible to escape that task, escape the thing they know they're supposed to do. Just do the hard thing. Do what it is you're supposed to do. Escapism is a dangerous thing, and that's where we find Jonah. Um, So, let's move on. (coughs) We talked about this earlier. I mean, you're allowed... You're allowed to get on the boat. But the fare you you pay is going to be the least expensive part of this trip. Does that make sense? You're allowed to. Honestly, if you want to leave tonight and go get yourself in some jacked up sinful mess, ain't nobody going to stop you probably. You know how to sneak around. You can figure it out. Okay? Anybody in this room that wants to go do something deviant, you know you can. It's not that hard. I mean, good night. It doesn't take rocket science. You can figure it out. We live in a world where anonymity is, you know, at some levels very difficult and at some levels very easy. You know, you can do things on the internet that people never know about. Okay? You can do things. It used to be like, well, I'm going to use an issue that, that I know that, man, forget students. I work with students all the time. Let's talk about adults. Pornography is a raging issue. It used to be when you were a kid and you wanted to look at porn, you know, you had to go down and like, like go in there and try to steal it or sneak it out of some gas station or something like that. Good night. Two clicks. You're there, man. It used to be that you had to go pursue porn, now it pursues you. It's a whole different ballgame now. It's so much harder for a student, so much harder for you guys as adults. It's just a different... And here's the truth of the matter. You're free to get into that. And the price you'll pay in that moment, it's going to cost you. But honestly, it pales in comparison to the collateral damage it's going to have on you, on your relationships, on your heart, on your mind. The guilt of that moment won't even compare to what's going to follow you in terms of how it begins to redefine the way you view yourself, the way you think that God views you. I mean, this collateral damage just keeps building and building and building and building and building. What Jonah paid for the fare was the least expensive part of this trip. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a cheap part, man. Even though it was a lot of money. Pales in comparison to the real price of this trip. All right, moving on. Um, it's funny that he seems to prefer death to facing God alive. <laughs> um, he doesn't just flee Tarshish, flee to Tarshish. He actually, like, when you look at, at his fleeing, so he flees to Joppa to buy a ticket, he gets on the boat, he flees to Tarshish, and then that's not far away, and it's not far enough, so what does he do next? He flees to one, even the furthest level in his mind he could possibly go, which was to what? The hold of the ship. I mean, it literally goes, I'm going to flee here. That's not far enough. I'm just going to like, dive down to where nobody sees me. Nobody knows. Man, sin does that. Sin does that. At a point where you get caught, there's always this tension. Or when you feel that you're about to get caught, there's this tension just to hide. Just bury yourself. 
Just try to stay out of, you know, anyone's, you know, crosshairs. Just try to stay out of any situation that might expose what's actually going on. And so what does Jonah do? He doesn't want to be in the crosshairs. He doesn't want to get caught. So, bam, he's just going to go down and sleep. We think that, that a conscience will convict. But it doesn't always convict, does it? If you've ever been, been a scripture says, hardened by sin's deceitfulness, dude, that conscience at some level that you've got, it can really become callous. You ever known anyone that's gotten a callous conscience, even a believer, to where they could just get to the point where it's like, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know I shouldn't do this. Screw it. Doing it anyway. I'm just doing it. Just here we go. This is it. Jonah reaches that point where at some level the guilt is not enough. The conscience is not enough. He's just like, I don't know if it's depression. I don't know if it's what it is. He's just like, I'm just going to bed. I'm done. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to confess anything. I'm not opening up. I'm, I'm done here. Boom. Down to the deepest parts of the ship. Let's go to sleep. We're done. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I've seen that happen in marriages where the conversation just ends. Where I don't know what happens in terms of sin, but all of a sudden, you've got one partner that just kind of withdraws, and they're just disconnected and unavailable. Here's everyone else trying to row the ship, and Jonah's just not there. He's just not present. I've seen that happen not just between a husband and wife. I've watched fathers do that with sons. Fathers do that with daughters. That they're so riddled with sin in their own life that it's just not even worth trying anymore. They just go down the hole of the ship. It's going to do my own thing, man. Just going to do my thing. Everybody else do their thing. I'll do my thing. Everybody else row the ship. I'll be down here. And you find them completely disconnected. For some of you right now, you're picturing families you know. You're picturing friends you know. You're picturing marriages you know. Learn from Jonah. <coughs> what he does in this moment is he disconnects from God's calling. He disconnects from God's people. He places himself on a pagan ship. And when that's not enough, he even pulls away from them. And he just holds down on the ship. And that is a huge pattern we find for sin. All right, moving on. Um, here's something I found was interesting. A commentator made this comment I thought was brilliant. He says, some Christians assume that because the circumstances are favorable, what they're doing must have God's approval. Isn't that interesting? How many times we justify our behavior by saying, well, God provided this, well, God allowed this, well, you know, God put us together, or, you know, God brought this about, well, well, God put us in this situation at work, or put us in this situation, blah, 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 blah. And so many times we can justify that behavior by just saying, well, all, all the circumstances are favorable. Here's what I like to tell people in that, in that situation. Um, think about, somebody call out, well, think about what kind of car you own right now. All right? Anybody who had a car in the last three months? Anybody got a car in the last three months? Okay, what'd you get? Alexis. Alexis, what color? Pearl white. Pearl white. My question for you, how long, how long have you had it? may not be long enough. We'll see. Uh, so, okay, we'll see if it's long enough. How many of those have you seen around town now? Not many. Okay, you haven't had very long. Okay, somebody else had, had a car at least a, like six months? New car? Okay, what'd you get? Chevy Cruze. Chevy Cruze? How many of those have you seen around town? Okay, how many Chevy Cruises did you notice before you got it? None. Isn't that interesting? You ever notice that all of a sudden, when you know what kind of car you want, they're everywhere? 
My wife right now has got the Subaru bug. She wants out of minivan world with all of her heart. <laughs> she dented it again, and my, I'm like, babe, you're really trying to wreck this car, aren't you? I know what's up. I know what's up. She, I mean, everywhere she's like, oh, there's one. She's got it narrowed down to the paint styles. And I mean, she can find those things like I find deer. Um, let's just be honest. But everywhere I look, there's, I mean, there's Subarus everywhere. They're all over the place. I didn't even notice Subarus before. My wife started commenting. Now I see them everywhere I go. You find what you're looking for. You do. You find what you're looking for. And man, if, if you're looking for companionship, you'll find it. If you're looking for some sort of thrill, you'll find it. If you're looking for money, you'll find it. People tend to find what they're looking for, but a lot of times, man, it's the dangerous places it takes us in order to get it. So, Jason, yeah. how, do you, so how do you sort that out and talk with people then when they, they're saying, how do I discern between God's will and that? Yeah, that's a difficult question yeah. because sorting out what is God's will and what's my will. So I'd start off by saying Subarus probably aren't his will. Let's just lead there, okay? Uh, me finding that 12-point buck, I don't know he really cares. I mean, I think he cares because he created it, but I don't think he's like, I'm going to lead you a 12-point buck. I think one I'd say is, does what you're getting bring you into a closer relationship with him, or does it tend to drive you away? I would say if it's neutral, that's danger. Jason? Yes? Sometimes people will say that, though. <coughs> oh, yeah. They'll say, oh, this makes me feel closer to the Lord. Yes. And so, just... One thing that I've thought of is I call it pseudo-peace. That's great. That's nothing more than relief. Drugs give us relief. Food gives us relief. So initially, a lot of those things that we're running to feel like relief, but they're not peace. They're not. They, they eventually wear out. And I think anything done to an extreme eventually becomes an idol. But a lot of people will say, oh, I feel closer to God because their emotions are stirred up. Yeah. And that's existentialism or even narcissism and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about what you're doing in terms of separating it, here's the way I do it in my life. And this may not be helpful, but this is the way I look at it. Um, This is Jason speaking. I'm not speaking on behalf of Christchurch or Nogo. Anything you hear right now does not reflect necessarily the views of the staff or leadership or eldership of Christchurch. There we go. I'll give my disclaimer. Um, It is. That was my disclaimer. So there we go. Uh, here's the way I approach it in, in my life personally when it comes to discerning God's will. Uh, and I tell my kids this. Uh, let's, look at, let's look at marriage as an example. This is a great one for me. Um, I don't buy into the adage of, you know, there's that one girl out there that I'm supposed to marry. Man, I, I, I tell my wife, tell my boys, tell my daughter. There's a, there's a lot of girls I would have liked to have married. Probably not as many as I think would have had me. But anyway, there would have been lots of options. You could have chosen lots of people. That's it. There are lots of people you can marry. And when I view God's will, I view it as in, it's kind of like I'm in this room right now. And God gives me freedom to move within this room. And it doesn't matter, I don't think, it doesn't matter if I want to sit in this chair, if I want to walk over here and I want to lean on this bookshelf. As long as I remain in this room and under his umbrella, then I live within his will. I live within his permission, okay? So in that moment, when I choose a spouse and I chose my wife and she's within the same will, she's lived within the same parameter, I think God says, make the decision of who you want to marry. Choose who it is. So for me, marriage was a calculated decision of, I want to do life with this woman. I never have an issue personally, and I tell my kids, it's never an issue if I ever think, oh, I married the wrong one. No, 
Never an issue of that. It's never an issue of, well, was there, was there somebody else out there I was supposed to marry? No, it was never an issue of that. I chose her. I chose this. This is what I wanted, and it's what I continue to choose. And so for me, when I look at God's will, I would say, first of all, do you find it within the parameters of God's umbrella? Do you find it parameters of God's room? I said umbrella. I meant room. Umbrella is an illustration I use. Is it within the parameters of God's room? Or would you look at it and say, like drugs and alcohol, things like that, that you're craving and, and running to in terms of dependency. I'm not saying that all oh, alcohol, you can't have a drink of eating like that. I'm not going down that road. Drugs, I will, okay? But I look at it and say, let's use drugs as an example. That, we all know, man, no, 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 that's outside of God's room. That's outside of his will. If you're pursuing that, you're no longer in his will, okay? The next question I would say is, does this lead me closer to Jesus or does it draw me further away? Like, let's take the moment that I bought, I did, I did my Dave Ramsey stupid purchase on my dumb motorhome I bought. Oh, so stupid. I want another one really bad right now, but let's don't go there. Um, I go out and I spend like seventeen dollars to $20,000 on this stupid motorhome that I, tra- I travel for, for in the summer for a living. I'm gone like six to eight weeks. This is what I do. It's not like I can use it in the summer. My kids are in school and they're in youth sports. I have no life. I don't get to do anything fun like in terms of travel and use a camper. So this thing just sat unused. And I look at it in that moment going, no, that was for me. I could try to justify, like you said, in terms of pleasure. It's going to bring me closer to Jesus. It's going to bring our family closer together. And that was all an illusion. I'm not saying that buying a motorhome is outside of God's will. But I would say in my life in particular, nothing about that was going to draw me closer to Jesus. Nothing about that was going to bring me into a relationship with him. Nothing about that did anything possible to, to increase that. Well, okay, well, let's apply that in some, some other ways that makes it complicated. Well, does that mean all cars we choose have to be, no, I don't want to go down that and get that specific. I think things like that stay in the general will. I don't know if that helps at all. Okay. All right, moving on. Um, uh, this instance we're getting into that we're going to look at is the only instance in all of Scripture where a prophet disobeys God. Only one. So this is a big deal. Um, we know, we know we can't escape God's presence, like we know that, but I don't know if you've ever found yourself, it's crazy how many things we want to do in darkness. It's crazy how many things that, that we will do when we think nobody can see us. When we think anonymity is our friend and we won't get caught. Um, we find him in this place right now. Let's start going through some very... I've got to see if there's anything I'm missing here. Um, I don't want to hit on that. I've got to gain some time here. I'm skipping through notes. Um, we already talked about that. All right, let's get to verse 6. Here we go. <coughs> we'll start dialing it a little tighter. Verse 6 says this. It says, The captain said to him, How can you sleep? Get up and call in your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us. And we won't perish. It's interesting. Look at what he says. The captain says, get up and call on your God. I don't know if you notice that that's really essentially the same thing that God says to, to Jonah up here in verse 2. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. That word go to and get up, essentially the same phrase. Jonah's here it again. Same thing that God told him is the same thing that the captain's telling him in this moment. Um, Jonah reaches this point where he just doesn't care if he dies. Um, so we, they find this point in verse 7 that we talked about, they cast lots. So the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. 
I don't have a long time I want to talk about this, but I'm going to give you some fun scriptures you can write down if you want to see this. It's all over the Bible. So let me just give you a few. I have nothing of value to give you on casting lots. No, I don't think you should go over and pray over the dice as you throw them on the craps table. No. Do you throw dice in craps? I've never played before. Is that how you play craps? Yes. I, thank you for telling me. I'm not judging you because you have. I've just never done it, okay? I'm not like, oh, he's testing us. No, I don't know. Um, so, but I appreciate those of you that are so quick to say yes and say it so loudly. Um, so here's what we got. 1 Samuel 14, 36-42 is an interesting example of it. Uh, another one, Leviticus 16, 8 through 10, Numbers 26, 55 through 56. Sorry, I'm going too fast. All right, all right, all right. I don't even know if you guys even care about this stuff. I'm just going to give you some of them. 1 Samuel 14, 36 through 42. There's not much of biblical value of God here. I just found it interesting. Um, here's another one. Um, God told him to cast lots. Uh, Leviticus 16, 8 through 10. Another one was Numbers 26. 55 through 56. Here's three more in Numbers. 33, 54, chapter 33, 54 has it. Chapter 33, 13. You also find it in Numbers 36, verses 2 through 3. Joshua 14, 2. Joshua 15, 1. 16, 1. Proverbs 16, 33 talks about it. It's all over. Here's the thing that I'm just going to throw out there. I don't know what to do with that as like, this New Testament type Christian. Yeah, I don't know what to do with it. It's bizarre. I mean, if we made our decision around here by casting lots, we'd be like, ooh, that's weird. We don't, we don't do that kind of stuff. I spiritually don't know what to do with that. I don't. I don't know what to do with that. I've never been in a meeting ever in my life as a believer where Christians have said, let's roll some dice on that. I'm just, I just, that sounds so foreign to me. I'm like, what? But here's the beautiful thing. I, here's the one beautiful thing I see in it is that God is showing his sovereignty that he can manipulate and move any detail to the most minute point. What a crazy thing. Then I want to say, God, why don't you let me win at the craps table if I ever played? So, but I don't know what to do with that. It's just, it's just an interesting thought. You know, and I, I don't know if the lots were pulling sticks. I, I don't really know. I, I don't know the history. Somebody else that can study that out later on and say, hey, I worked on that this week. I've never looked into it. Sammy? Um, I wonder... Um... How much of this plays into it, but like they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they use the and Thurman. We do know that in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's a great example. So I don't know. Yeah, Sammy, I love that answer. That makes me feel so better about life right now. (laughs) Seriously, I I love that. I've never, I've never looked into this. Maybe you have, but it's just one of those things that there's several things in Scripture that you go, huh? That's weird. Honestly, I'll give you another one. Communion's weird, folks. That's weird. Don't, and I love, don't make it normal. Don't make it, don't sterilize it. Don't just go like, no, 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 no. That's very normal. No, no, that's the beauty in it. Let the bizarreness of it be absolutely epic and, 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 and gorgeous and unique and different. The fact that we say that, you know, early Christians were accused of being cannibals because they said things like, we eat his, you know, we eat his flesh, we drink his blood. If you go anywhere else and they ask you to do that, you run. But we expect non-believers to come in here and go, it's communion time. We're going to eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood. I mean, if you don't know anything about Jesus, you're like, what? This is weird. There are some things about, the, about Scripture that I absolutely love because it makes you just go, huh, that's amazing. Baptism is another one. That's a bizarre thing. It's a beautiful thing. But you're the thing that we walk up, 
and we dunk another human being in water, come up and we all applaud. That doesn't happen in swimming pools. It doesn't happen. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. What it symbolizes from the book of Romans is absolutely spectacular. But I think sometimes it's okay to go, wow, this is unique. This is different. I don't, I don't quite know what to do with that. And I find that in so many attributes and characteristics of God. And that's part of what continually amazes me about who he is. Is I find myself often going, and I don't understand that. And I think he goes, oh, I know. I'm good with that. I'm good with the fact that you don't understand it all. I'm good with the fact that you can't figure me out. I'm good with the fact that you can't mathematically put me into some sort of a formula. That he looks at me and says, I- I'm so wild that I can cast lots and control it. Figure that out. Uh, I can't. He goes, I can. I can turn the dice and make them go where I want them to go. I can make sure that the stick I need pulled out, however they did the lots, exactly goes that way. He goes, I control it all. There goes my brain. Um, verse 12. Let's look at that. Um, Satan said to each other, ah, I skipped all that. Hold on. Um, oh, here's an interesting thing in verse 10 I wanted to point out. Before we go over to verse 12, sorry. Verse 10. I thought this was interesting. It said, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? Um, do me a favor. At your tables, read the scripture. Read, in light of sin, read Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. Somebody read that at your table. Genesis 4.10. Found this interesting. So, here is a, here's an interesting aspect of that. You find the same question clear back at Cain and Abel that God asked. What have you done? I love the beauty of what God does to these pagans of taking those same words and using them right now in Jonah. I mean, what have you done? You know, you've got one, you've got God asking. I think at this moment, I really think that the sailors are more exclaiming this. You know, it's that screaming. I, I've done that at my, I don't say scream. I've yelled at my kids like, man, what in the world are you thinking? You know, what have you done? Are you kidding me? You did what? I don't know if you've ever had that conversation with your children. If not, come to my house. You can watch me have it with mine. But there are moments I'm like, man, what were you thinking? Are you kidding me? Like, I was giving my, my little guy grief the other day, and I got so irritated. I asked him to cut down this little tree in our, in our front yard, you know, get the random trees that, that kind of sprout up. And I walked back. And the little guy has cut down all the flowers. Well, not all. He cut down a whole section of flowers. I'm like, what the heck are you thinking? Like, why would you do that? Like, what? He's like, I just wanted to cut things. I'm like, I don't understand you right now. Like, these are flowers. Like, they're not going to come back this year. He's like, oh. I'm like, did you ever had that moment with somebody like, what are, you, what are you doing, man? What are you thinking? This is now life and death. It's not just cutting flowers. When these sailors look at him, it's literally, and I, and I kind of wonder, I wonder what it was like in that Cain and Abel moment when God asked that question. Like, I wonder what the, what the tone of his voice was. How did he say it? Is it, what have you done? I mean, it's, we, we want to make him sound like James Earl Jones or something like that, you know? We want to take this moment where God says, what hast thou done? But I wonder if God just shows up and goes, oh, no, 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 no. What have you done? I wonder if Jesus does that in our lives at times. Where he just looks at us and goes, oh man, what have you done? What have you done? In his great compassion and mercy, he just says, well, what have you done, man? What have you done? 
Jonah still won't say it. He will eventually. Tensing said they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. And at what point in the journey does he tell them that? <laughs> they get about a thousand nautical miles in. I don't know. Like, hey guys, by the way, shooting the breeze, been traveling for a month or so. I mean, I don't know. So what brings you on this great journey? You know, why did you pay so much for the fare? You're not even, you know, traveling with the cargo. Why are you going to Tarshish? Well, I'm actually running from God. And all of a sudden he just goes dead silent on the boat. Like, what? You're doing what? Like, at that moment, you know, if you understand some of the, the old sailor history, you know, the whole concept of bad luck on the boat is just not something you want. You got the albatross on the boat now, right now. This is about to go down. And they're like... I can imagine that, like, nobody wants to sleep. Nobody wants to bunk next to Jonah. Nobody wants to row next to Jonah. Nobody wants to be, like, close proximity to Jonah. He's that guy on the boat. Here's a question I've got coming to verse 12. It says, this terrified them. They asked, what have you done? It said, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. Who's causing that storm? If he can turn the dice, he can make it rain. He says, so they ask him, what shall we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. All right, time out. Time out. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. I want you to give me at least three other options. Right now that Jonah could have played out. Put him in a lifeboat. Okay. They had a lifeboat. All right, what else? Give me, give me some more options. Just kill him on the boat. I hadn't thought of that one. That's a great one. Just take the oar. <laughs> Done. Okay? Pray the Lord has mercy on him. Pray God has mercy. Give me some more. Turn the boat around. That's the one that caught my mind today. That one right there. Look what Jonah says. Blows my mind. He says this, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He's so hard-hearted. Like, I- I'm going to ask this question. It's a rhetorical question that we don't, we don't know the answer to. But I'm just asking your opinion as we talk about this. Do you think God would have stopped the storm if Jonah would have said, I know you guys are going to be ticked at me. I know you won't understand. But if you want this thing to stop, do a 180 with the boat. Just do a 180, guys. Just turn it around right now. Just turn the boat around and the storm will stop. You think God would have stopped that storm if they just want to start paddling on one side <laughs> real hard? All of a sudden, <laughs> We've seen him calm the story. It talks about it in the, in the Gospels. The power of God. He'll calm this storm. Why does Jonah pick death over turning the boat around? Why do you think? He does not want to do it. Doesn't want to do it. Here's uh, an issue that, <laughs> that maybe we face. I think for some people... It can be easier to give up on something than to face it. Sometimes it's easier just to give up on it than it is to face it. A relationship, a problem, a pain. Sometimes it's easier just to say, I'd rather die than deal with it. And maybe it's not even a personal death. I'd rather just let the marriage die than deal with what it is. Like, let's just, let's just be done here. I think Jonah says, I'd rather be dead than deal with it. I'd rather be dead than face and do the hard thing that God's asked me to do. Whew. That's tough, man. 
I literally think that if, this is my opinion, I think if Jonah was said, hey guys, turn the boat around, I think God would have went, but he'd rather die than deal with it. That's tough. Oh, I think so. He knew God to give compassion. Maybe he just hated Nineveh that much that he'd just be willing to die himself. Wow. What a messed up individual. The only people in this whole thing showing compassion are God and the sailors. It's crazy. Um, verse 13, it shows that. It says, instead the men did their best to row back to land. Love the fact that these guys are straining to save Jonah. I mean, he tells them, Throw me overboard, boys, and that'll stop it. They have the formula. It's not like they got this deep relationship with the guy, you know. And, and he's not one of theirs. No, he's not he's one of theirs. Not, he's an outsider. Yeah, he's an outsider. You know, and probably not even a good sailor. He's a prophet. It's like he's not even, not even pulling his own weight on this boat. Throw him overboard. Ditch him. Get rid of him. I love watching these sailors with compassion. Instead, the men did their best. And what it says when it says to row the boat, it means it's, it, it, the word is to dig. That literally, man, they were digging at this water, muscles rippling, pulling with everything they've got. And not just to save their boat, they were still trying to save Jonah. He says, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. That's interesting. The harder they row, the worse it gets. They cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Man, they realize what they're about to do. They see it. He goes on, don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. He says, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. <clears throat> then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. I don't know what that looks like. Like there's this moment, boat's just rocking. It's going absolutely crazy. You're like grab an ankle, grab a wrist. Here we go. I, I don't know how they throw him. I, mean, I don't know what it looks like. You know, if they just walk him up the edge and shove him, I, I think, does he fight them at all? Is there a struggle? Or is Jonah just like, just throw me overboard? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I, it's, it's, it, my mind races with imagery trying to think what it looks like. And I, like, I wonder how fast does that water grow calm when he hits it? When he hits it? Is it instant? Probably not. I don't know. Probably takes a while. But at some point, this thing starts going calm. Keep reading on a little bit more. Oh, so many things we're going to hit on that I've I've only got like how much time I got? We got ten minutes. Yes. Yeah, they would have. They all of a sudden are like they are recognizing God as the Hebrews God. Yeah. They would have been Phoenicians or that worship Baal. And so there's a good chance that he could have very easily been the only Hebrew on that boat. Probably was a Phoenician boat that's selling for Tarshish. Um, there's a good chance that he was. They probably would not have been familiar with him at that point because they're calling out to any god they can find. They're calling out to Baal. They're calling out to this god, that god. But at this point, they're like, we'll call on anyone. Yeah. But you do see that. Yeah, and when they, and when, they do, <coughs> when they do call out to God there at the end, they say, don't punish us for this. They're specifically using the name Yahweh. They're Yahweh. using the covenant name. So they're saying, because they believe in many gods, you know. So they go, hey, Yahweh, we're, he told us to kill him. Don't hold his blood against us. Don't come after us. We, 
you know. Because that's what I was wondering is if they had heard the stories of centuries past of mm -hmm. Yahweh. I'm sure that at some level they had probably heard of his name. You know, even if they had just done, hit port in Joppa, they probably made trips there before. They've been in Israel. But I wouldn't say it was an issue of necessarily worshiping him until they saw his power. And they see his power, it rocks our world. The name they use for God, there, there's a lot of different names that God calls himself. And we could do a whole study on that. It's pretty fascinating. This one here is Elohim. It's the first name that God calls himself back in Genesis 1. This is what, well, when Moses writes it, Elohim. It's the beginning. It's the creator. It's the powerful one. Yes? I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know why he doesn't jump. Yeah. Is it cowardice? Is it fear? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't jump. Why does he put these guys in that position? You know, and, and man, there's so many layers of conversation you could have around that, that question in terms of like, when you know someone's got this in their life, how many times you're like, dude, just, just do what you know you got to do. And can't do it. That's a great question. Though. I don't know why he doesn't jump. I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't tell him just turn the boat around. Yeah. So a couple things we want to pick out here before we, we move on. Um, in verse 17, we're going to see this fish show up. It says, but the Lord provided a great fish. That word provided is going to be really, really important. Um, you're going to find that. Read 117. You're going to see provided. Somebody at your table, read 4-6 out loud. Actually, uh, yeah, read 4-6. Now, somebody read 4-7. Somebody read 4-8. Okay, those words provided are important. I think it's fascinating where he provides this great wind. He provides, earlier we saw he provided a wind, which would end up being the storm. You know, he provided... Uh, you know, this fish that we're going to talk about. He provides a plant, provides a worm, provides a wind. We see this, this drawing out. And, and, and let me just ask you this question. Why does the writer keep using this word, the Lord provided? When you think about that, theologically or like, what, what goes to your mind? Like, God keeps providing. What comes to your mind when you see like, huh, it's interesting. Provides a wind, provides a fish, provides a plant, provides a worm, provides, provides, provides. Give me some application to that. He's in control. Okay. It's a great one. Huh? Providing a way back. What else do you see? These are great comments. It's money. It's great. It's to his benefit. Who's his? And to God's. Ask a rhetorical question. Because I like stepping on toes. If God was going to provide something in your life, to correct, to correct a behavior or correct an attribute in your life that's leading you to sin. Is he currently trying to provide it? Has he provided it and you've rejected it? Or will you, will you let him take you to a place where your refusal to repent will mean he has to just do it? The question I ask is this. How rough would you be willing to let God get with you in order to, to truly save and redeem your soul? How deep of a level of, of correction would you receive if it meant your heart and life were going to be restored? What would it take? 
Is there any point where you'd say, it's just not worth it? Just a rhetorical question. Just something to think about. I think God, if he's willing to turn dice, lots, I don't know, they weren't dice, I know, just an illustration. If he's willing to create a wind, if he's willing to give a fish, if he's willing to give a worm, if he's willing to do everything he can in the life of Jonah to see his calling come to fruition and to see people saved, does God still do the same thing in us today? Does he provide people to tell us? Does he put us in difficult circumstances? Does he allow difficult things to happen in our life in order to bring our hearts to repentance? How many things has God got to give Jonah to get his head on straight? Question for me is, how many things has God got to give me to get my head on straight? Thank to God, thanks be to God that in his mercy he still provides it. Because at some point God could have said, let him drown, get me a new prophet. Let him drown. I mean, honestly, it'd been easier for God. Would have been a lot easier. Just let him drown. I got a guy back here. He's only 500 miles away now. Just get him up to Nineveh. Let's go. Next up, call a reliever. Yes. Yes. It's mercy. Yes. 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 The wind is his mercy. The fish is a mercy. All of it, it's his mercy that continue draws us back. That is exactly it. That's exactly it. All right. Let's uh, let's finish this a couple things. I don't want to camp out on this whole fish thing. All right. It's just not worth the theological debate. I don't think Jonah knows what he was in. Okay. If it's a raging storm and you fall into the water and it's probably dark because it's a storm and something swallows you, it's not that all of a sudden you become some sort of an aquatic specialist going, well, you know what, I think this is the species of killer. Oh, you're not going to know that. He gets spit out in the shore. It's not like he turns around and looks at it and goes, well, I never knew that's what I was in. He has no clue, okay? So whether you want a whale, whether you want to call it a fish, and honestly, when I hear people that want to do like these like apologetic type studies of, here's this individual that lived so long in the belly of a great fish, and there have been proven scientific you know, moments in history, don't, don't live there. This is miraculous and crazy. Let it be miraculous and crazy. Don't try to sterilize it and go, well, you know, there's this one guy back in the 1800s, and he got swallowed by a fish, and he lived three days in the belly of it. No. This is crazy talk. This guy gets swallowed by a fish. Okay? He get, God wants it to be crazy and extreme to show his power. He could have just as easily sent a board off the ship, or they just thrown all that cargo overboard. He could have had him floating along, holding on to a plank like Paul did. No, he chose a fish. Let it be spectacular. Let it be mesmerizing. Let it be amazing. Don't get caught up over what species. Was it a whale? Well, I've seen people get in fights over whether that was a whale. Who cares if it's a whale or not? It doesn't matter. It's not even important. Jonah didn't even have a clue. It's not like the fish spit him out and they had a conversation on the shore. It's not how it played out. I think Jonah is in the belly of this thing for three days. I mean, you imagine the stench in that? Oh, that's got to be disgusting. I mean, you can imagine the acid of that, what it does to his skin. You can imagine, like, this, not just the, the smell that just permeates the deepest inmost, like fiber of who he is. I mean, this is a disgusting place, and how he had oxygen and air. I don't know any of that. How does he save Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from a fire? Let it be weird. Let it be crazy. Let it be glorious. Let it be miraculous. Don't try to go through and say, well, there was this one. Don't do that stuff. It just doesn't work. 
What I love is this, that God could have found all these different ways to rescue him, but he uses something bizarre, amazing, and extreme. What a beautiful God. What a be- and it even says he provided the fish. I think this fish is like, oh boy. I don't know if he looks at Jonah and is like, man, I do not want that tonight. I don't know. He's like, brr, got a Hebrew tonight. He had a stomachache for three days. Okay? For three days, this fish swims around going, ugh, shouldn't add that. You know, we all know what that feels like. It's like, brr, Mexican food. I'm, you know, I'm just like, finally he's like, I'm like, I get a dog that eats socks, and now he vomits them up around the house. I'm like, this fish for three days is like, brr. God's like, all right, it's time now. You can spit him out. Shows up, and we're going to talk a little more about this next week. It just vomits him onto the shore. I wonder how Jonah figures out it's three days. You know, maybe finally ask somebody, like, man, what day is it? You know, it's not like he's got a smartphone, he can pull it out. You know, they were able to tell some, some like it tell some time and know how much time had passed. You know, somebody figures it out, like, I was in that thing for three days. You know, it's not like it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He's got a watch on. It's not Captain Hook or anything like that. I mean, it's, this is crazy. It's bizarre. It's beautiful. Here's what I would say. Storm is the environment where we either lose our lives or they're saved. Storm is. I don't know if you've ever been through a storm because of of decisions you've made. I have. You ever been through a storm? Or maybe you've been in a storm because of decisions other people have made and they put you in the storm. Maybe you don't identify with Jonah right now. You're like, I'm like a stinking sailor right now. Like I'm, I'm like living in somebody else's mess. You know, and maybe you've got, you know, a son or daughter, an aunt, an uncle, brother, sister, husband, wife, I don't know, one of your kids, that they've, they've put you in the storm. Storms really are a beautiful chaos where we either lose our life or we find it. It's a beautiful place to be, though. Because in that storm and in that moment is this glorious place where salvation comes or it doesn't. It's crazy what we will do in our life to avoid a storm. I'm watching, and rightfully so, I would do the same thing, but watching how many people are evacuating, and they should, Florida right now. Watching what just went through with, with Hurricane Harvey. They're violent things. But symbolically, some of us have have run from things that God's been calling us to. And you can see the clouds brewing in a relationship at work. You can see the clouds brewing in a relationship at home. You can see the clouds brewing in a friendship. And at some point, man, if you don't lean into this and you continue to flee... God in His mercy will bring that storm anyway. It's crazy how many times we always try to avoid it and it never works, does it? Try so often just to think, man, if we just don't talk about this right now, we just kind of let time go by, it's going to heal all this and make it all better, and it just never does. The best thing we can do is say, God, you've sent this storm. I'm here to repent. I'm here to listen. I'm here to turn back to you. I'm here to have my heart changed. Don't throw me overboard, but if the last thing you have to do is throw me overboard, then just do it, but save me. Save me. Save those around me. Let's pray before we wrap this up. And I guess I'm going to ask you these questions. 
before we end, before we pray. How far would you want God to go in order to discipline you to the point of repentance? That's a key question tonight. How far would you want God to go to discipline you so that you came to the point of repentance? What level of pain or humiliation would be too much for you to be aligned back with His calling in your life? Is there a level of pain and humiliation you're just unwilling to endure? Can you think of people that you've hurt because of your disobedience? Who has hurt you because they lived in disobedience? Hey, Jesus, um, we are grateful that you're a God that in this book shows us compassion. Hey, Lord, you're patient with us, that you deeply desire to restore us. Lord, we are thankful that you show up and restore us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our running. And God, my prayer for, for my children, my prayer for the people in this room, my prayer for um, before your throne is simply this. God, I pray that you do whatever you've got to do to bring us back into relationship with you. But I do pray you'd spare a life like you spared Jonas. God, may you restore marriages, may you restore relationships with children, may you restore friendships, may you restore relationships with parents or brothers or siblings or whatever it is, God. May you be in the process of restoring. And God, may you do whatever you've got to do to restore those broken relationships, but you, may you spare our life in the process. May God do whatever. Provide a fish, provide a storm, but God, in your great mercy, provide healing. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.